Welcome to Connected Learning TV at Educator Innovator. Today is Monday, March 26, 2018. I'm Dylan, your host of this conversation. I'm a teacher consultant with the Denver Writing Project and a teacher at, the, at Rangeview High School in Aurora, Colorado. We've got a great panel here to discuss the reading for Marginal Silhouettes for May, which is the first chapter of the book titled From Inquiry to Action civic engagement with project-based learning in all content areas. So I want to begin by allowing our guests to introduce themselves. Okay, so I'm Steve Zemmelman. I'm the author of that book, and uh, I'm a visiting scholar is my main title right now at Northeastern Illinois University. And uh, I uh, am director, founding director of the Illinois Writing Project. And what I really do is hang out in schools in Chicago, helping with civic action projects and um, restorative justice. Hi everybody, uh, my name is Heather Van Mathisen. I um, was an te English teacher in Chicago Public Schools for 12 years. The first time I met Steve Zemmelman was in my classroom um, about five years ago. Um, and for the last three years I've been out of the classroom and now I work as a, the civic education manager for Chicago Public Schools. So I work with teachers all over the districts and uh, helping them do this work with their students. Hi everyone, um, my name is uh, Mauricio Pineda. I am a K-8 um, art teacher at Riley Elementary School here in Chicago. I am also in charge of the Restorative Practices um, Initiative in our school uh, with firms that held Peace Circles, uh, Fair Council, um, additionally, I'm also an adjunct faculty um, professor at DePaul University in the Peace, Conflict, and, uh, Peace Justice and Conflict Studies program. And greetings, everybody. My name is Ramey Kalir. I am an assistant professor of information and learning technology at the University of Colorado in Denver. And I'm also one of the organizers and facilitators of the Marginal Syllabus Project, which is bringing us all together today. Thanks for those introductions. You can see why I'm excited for this uh, conversation that's just ahead of us. Um, quickly, a note about the project. Marginal Syllabus is a project that convenes and sustains equity conversations in the margins of texts online using a digital annotation tool called Hypothesis. We'll provide more details about the project in a bit, but I want to begin by having Steve, the author of this month's piece, tell us a little bit about his, the, the background of, of this work and the writing of the book. So Steve, if you don't mind. Sure. All right. So it's been about five years now that I had uh, organized a TEDx event to give an opportunity for teachers to have more voice in education policy. And one of the talks at that event was by Elizabeth Robbins, um, who would have been with us today, but she's got a flu. And um, she gave a talk that just blew me away. Uh, it was about uh, her students um, taking on the issue of uh, date violence. Uh, that really troubled them. They had found research on it, and they created a, their own new curriculum for that for high school students, brought it to Chicago 
public schools uh, board and then the CEO and got it approved as a, an accepted um, curriculum for Chicago high schools. Well, when I heard that, I thought, this is amazing. I've got to learn more about this. I uh, started observing in her classroom, and I don't remember if it was she or somebody at the organization I'll be mentioning here called Mikva Challenge that referred me to Heather Van Benthuysen, who uh, at uh, Alcott uh, College Prep High School in Chicago had this wonderful uh, after-school club called that they called themselves the Social Justice League, and they were working heavily on improving the uh, culture of their school. And I started getting referred to other wonderful teachers like Mauricio Pineda when I went to Riley School. Uh, he That school is just filled with art created by uh, the students there. Almost all of it focused on social issues in their school and in their neighborhood. And this so inspired me that I thought, I have to learn more about this. Um, and I want to write about it um, because it just seemed so important. What really struck me was the way that um, these projects and this kind of teaching really change students' view of themselves, of their relationship to school, and uh, their sense that they could make a difference in their communities and that they had a voice that people will listen to. I, I just want to read just very briefly a statement um, by a student from the book called Spectacular Things Happen on the Way. And I was just noticing it um, uh, this afternoon, again, reminding myself, this was a kid who was almost always absent. And the project there at this school was uh, that they wanted their school rehabbed because it was in such bad shape. And he wrote, I did not feel a school was a place for me. I didn't think it would help me in my life. But this project made me like coming to school. It didn't feel like the boring school I was used to. Um, he started coming to school all the time. His grades improved. It really changed him. And I thought, uh, you know, I want to do what I can to help more of this happening in schools around the country. Um, and uh, there were books that I started reading about this. One was this book by Brian Schultz, Spectacular Things Happen Along the Way. Um, another was a book by Ben Kirshner, um, who's at Boulder, actually, um, near you, Ramey. Um, uh, the title of that book is, I'm looking over here, Youth Activism at a Time of Inequality. And then um, this wonderful, uh, educator, theorist, and former middle school teacher, Myra Levinson at Harvard, uh, who wrote No Citizen Left Behind. Um, these are great books to read in the summer. Hers is really an intense one uh, on, on this issue of what it means to do this kind of teaching. Um, so that, that, those, were, those were the things that got me started, and uh, it just seemed so important that I had to do what I could to bring this to more te attention to more teachers. Um, I think uh, you were interested too in, you talked about um, equity and marginality. And um, I, I just want to say that um, I really see this kind of project as a key to equity because it is giving students the tools, positions, and the practice 
uh, to become active citizens, to try to improve their community and their situation. And I think that that's an, an, uh, an essential piece of what we're going to need if there's gonna be more equity in this country. The people who aren't getting what they deserve um, need to be speaking up about it and need to have the tools and the skills to do so. Um, as far as marginality, um, I had felt like this work was kind of really not, uh, not really recognized by teachers. They were maybe afraid of it. You know, will I get in trouble because this seems political, which doesn't have to be an issue at all. Um, and now what we're seeing uh, with the marches that are happening and the way that the Parkland students and students here in places like Chicago are really stepping up they are using those very kinds of skills and it's making a difference that we can see. So what, what we might've thought was marginal is no longer. So that, that's where I am with this book. Um, and uh, I really wanna hear from uh, Heather and, uh, and Mauricio about how they, how they came to this work themselves and how they see this kind of, this kind of work, this kind of teaching and learning. Thanks, Steve. And that's terrific background about the about the, the topic, the broad topic of the book. And I think in just a moment we will um, have Mauricio and Heather talk a little bit about their their interest in the classroom and, and maybe their take on um, going from inquiry to action. Just really quickly, I want to invite Ramey just to say a few words about the uh, the marginal syllabus project, just to provide provide a little bit more context about this discussion before we dive in. Thanks, Joe, and of course, thanks, Steve, for, for being our partner our author. As Joe mentioned briefly at the beginning of this um, webinar, the marginal syllabus seeks to spark and sustain conversations with educators about equity and equity topics that matter to teaching and to learning. And the name marginal syllabus embraces a very intentional political and technical double entendre. From a political perspective, we want to engage with those authors writing ideas that, as Steve mentioned a moment ago, might be considered marginal to kind of everyday schooling, to the kind of status quo of what learning can look like. And in addition to having marginal perspectives as a kind of counter narrative to the work that we engage, we also embrace technical marginality in the sense that the conversations we have with authors and their works occur in the margins of online texts. And so, so we, we embrace both the social, the political, and the technical aspects of margin and marginality in this project about convening equity conversations. And we've been having conversations during the 2017-18 school year that all align with the broad theme of civic engagement. And the National Writing Project has been an amazing host of a syllabus that is organized under the title, Writing Our Civic Futures. And we're just so pleased that that syllabus and the eight conversations and the multiple partner authors uh, comes to a close during this academic school year with uh, Steve as our partner author and with this particular conversation and text. So just a bit of background about the marginal syllabus and excited as well to hear Mauricio and Heather talk about their experiences and their perspectives on this important text. You know, I, I just wanna say, I, I do commenting myself on this and it's a lot of fun because I see friends on there. I start to become 
become friends with people like Ramey, who I see their comments, comment on mine. It's like a, a community that is growing as more people join. And it's a lot of fun. It's uh, one of the, Kevin Hodgson, a friend of mine in Massachusetts, it's, his, his, um, his uh, Twitter handle is Dog Tracks. And it's like, oh, Dog Tracks, there you are again. It's a lot of fun. Well, thanks for that note. Um, I think one of the things that we, you know, that's really valuable about the way this project is organized is, is essentially your chapter, Steve, will become an open educational resource that, yes, we'll invite folks to annotate in May, but also, you know, next year, um, folks who are teaching pre-service teachers or in-service teachers in higher ed might use the chapter then. So the idea that these open, the open educational resource that we're creating with our annotation will live on and it'll be accessible. And so the conversations that we start in May will, will carry on for quite some time. So we're excited to, to kick them all off with this conversation. And I think instead of just jumping into the reading, I think this conversation is unique because both Heather and Mauricio, normally we invite readers to, to come in and they, they read the text before we just have, a, have kind of a book group discussion. But in this case, you are very familiar with Heather's classroom and her and her work, and you're also you've also worked with Mauricio because you guys are all you know a unique cohort. I think it's important to invite Heather and Mauricio to talk a little bit about um, their own background with the notion of going from inquiry to action in different classroom contexts. So, if if I may, Heather, would you provide a little background about um, your angle on this work? Sure. Um, I guess. The best way for me to start would be at the beginning where I started, which was uh, teaching in Chicago's West Side. Um, my students were disengaged. They were, um, they didn't like their school, the new school when I first started, this was in 2005. And I remember distinctly hearing them complain a lot about the school community. The kids said, well, what do I do? And I had no idea. Um, I was teaching English at the time, and I didn't think that uh, I would be able to really hold them in the classroom or get them to work really meaningfully on writing if they had so many distractions and they were so disempowered in their lives and their school community. So I just started learning as I went and started doing projects with students in my class and outside of school. Um, after school, we started uh, clubs. This was um, about, I think, seven years before I first met Steve when I was at Alcott. And it really changed the way I taught my class. It changed the way I taught writing and reading. It changed the way um, I selected texts because I saw how, how empowered students became, but not just empowered, how much the work answered the question, why? You know, why do I have to learn this? Why do I have to do this? Those questions are answered because consistently and within the context of issues or topics that directly impacted their lives. So, um, you know, that really shaped my teaching over time and, and over time through various writings like how Steve mentioned, especially um, Mira and Ben 
Christian and meet people along the way who care about this and want to do this work and help you. And so, um, you know, every school I've been in, been worked in, uh, there was some, you know, connection to how are we working together to apply our, what we're learning in class and experiential um, to improve the community. I think that's really helpful. Um, and, and, and perfect because you, Steve and Mauricio are, are a cohort of sorts. So, so Mauricio, again, before we dive into the reading, would you mind providing a little bit of background um, about your context? Uh, of course. So the way I came about uh, this work was when I first started working at Riley. Um, the uh, location of Riley is in the midst of a neighborhood that had a lot of uh, uh, violence as part of the everyday. And um, it was very obvious to me that um, unfortunately due to, due to these violent acts within the school, outside the school, um, all these things were seen as the norm. So our students seem to be numb about the reality that they were immersed on. And, and in a way, sort of like used to that being just how their life was going to go about. So I decided to approach it from two different um, points. One would be their artistic practice. I decided to start um, encouraging them and using uh, models that help to find um, uh, ways where they can uh, bring attention to those programs through art. Um, some of those projects had or in, uh, involve a lot of uh, interaction. We have a couple of uh, what's these installations and things that really brought people um, out of the shadows to to share their feelings about things happening in the neighborhood. And my other approach was also. Um, to use restorative practices and um, I was able to um, not convince but to actually talk to my son that um, we need to stop um, in the amount of suspensions and detentions that we were given every day to our students because that's uh, that was really solving nothing and you know this punitive way of addressing the Behavior was only for why they did not help them to understand um, how they got to the point where these behaviors and these actions were detrimental not only to them but to many other people within the community. Not to mention that they didn't, they weren't able to understand that their behaviors were linked to um, to other roots that. Uh, Unfortunately, and some of them, they have no choice, like, you know, social status, um, even race, and for some of them, um, gender. So those were conditions that they couldn't manage, but bringing awareness was my goal, so they can start talking about these things more openly with acceptance and realizing that, well, this is, this is reality. Um, it doesn't have to be this way. If we are informed, we can change things. So, um, yeah, we started to have uh, mandatory talking and peace circles in, um, in every classroom. Now that's part of the practice in our school. It's part of the expectation of any teacher. Um, we have peace circles to resolve conflicts. Uh, we have a peace room now at Riley that we 
so created. Um, and then uh, we also have a group of peers that are chosen not by academics, but by character, by leadership um, skills within the community um, to listen to cases, students that uh, misbehave or, you know, um, have problems in, in terms of that they um, come to the peace room, they're heard by the other students, the older students, and they try to find ways to establish the, um, the relationships. And, and they're accountable now. So they know there's a beginning, a middle, and an end that's a lot deeper than just the tip of the iceberg, that's that behavior. So those were the two things that now we have been trying to combine and have them interact with each other. Sometimes it is um, not possible just for art to do its work alone. And as much as, you know, the, the, this restorative practices portion, it's, it's, it's not um, effective if you don't have the work of the art also to back it up. So it's a combination of the both and that's how we've started to do the work at Riley. Can I, can I just uh, mention a couple of things here that I, I didn't say uh, in my introductory part? First of all, I don't know if I made clear that these two teachers are featured in the book. Um, and so you won't see the discussions about them in the introductory chapter, but they're in some later chapters. If you want to see more of what they've been up to, oh, we've got... Oh, we've got the children, um, the, and they're the most important thing, so glad to have them here. Um, uh, for example, uh, when I went to Riley, I mean, when I first got there, uh, Mauricio's students were working on a project to, um, to represent some of the issues in their lives, and they had made these wonderful paper, paper mache sculptures um, based on a lesson he had taught about the sculptor Giacometti. And uh, they not only made these sculptures in order to represent some of the social issues they deal with, but they then used them to have an art show for the community. So they were taking art, um, they were using art to not only express their concerns, but also to, uh, but also to try to make a difference in the community by using art to do that. And I, and I just love that. I thought it was wonderful. And you see that all over the school. I think that gives us excellent background on what the introduction, you know, uh, what the introduction really, um, foregrounds for the book and so at this point you normally in the protocol I invite folks to look back at their reading and identify questions they might have for the author or things that have resonated for them and I do recognize that this conversation is unique in this project because you know Mauricio and Heather are the subjects of, of the book to some degree so um, I think this conversation should go wherever it needs to go I, I also wonder if Ramey has questions about maybe the introduction that might you know then the questions might be fielded by Heather or Mauricio. So I just yeah. wonder where you all want to take. I guess I'm, I'm happy to jump in and offer a question. Uh, I suppose to, to everyone, I had you know, the pleasure of reading the introduction uh, earlier today in preparation for our conversation. 
And I'm really curious about the use of the phrase social action. And I'm thinking about that as we talk about both designing and participating in equity-oriented work, whether those are conversations or actions, social action. Um, I'm thinking about how that term relates to notions of civic engagement. Um, also wondering about how that might resonate with terms like social justice um, and also advocacy, including aspects of political advocacy. And so I'm curious, both Heather and Mauricio, from your perspectives as educators, as designers, as facilitators, given all these lovely stories that you were both sharing. Um, and then Steve, as an author, how that term civic action resonates uh, with you. What are some of the advantages of using a term or a phrase like civic, or excuse me, like social action in describing um, this work? And maybe what are some of the um, work that's related? So maybe that opens up some interesting thoughts for us to talk about. Heather, I know you have things to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was wondering who, who's going to start. I can start, I guess. Um, um, thank you, Steve. Well, I, you know, I think that this is a really important question. And I think this, this question lends itself to talk about the framing of this work, but also some of the challenges. And I think why it's um, something that a lot of teachers or administrators might hesitate to do. Um, first, you know, we can't talk about social action and civic action without talking about how people perceive civic engagement and citizenship. I think that schools, um, we tend to consistently want to prepare young people for college and careers, but very rarely in our missions when we talk about preparing students are really focused on their civic lives or their um, lives centered around community and how to do that is really important and I think we're especially over the last couple of years really learning even more so about why it's important to really intentionally talk to students and think about how we're engaging young people in thinking questioning and investigation of their civic lives um, and not just what their civic lives are when they are magically whisked away into the world of adulthood when they turn 18 um, which isn't real and doesn't happen but how they're how they are engaged in their lives right now you know what power do they have in their lives now what do they think about what's happening in their lives right now um, and I think that when we talk about social action or civic action, these aren't things that sh are removed from classrooms because, you know, for me in the high school setting, every content area has a direct connection to their civic or social life. And why students should learn or apply knowledge in a way that's removed from their civic power is beyond me. Um, so, I guess, you know, the other part that I think is important to highlight is that the inquiry part is key in this work because, you know, the, the issues that are impacting young people are not issues, are issues because they're wicked, they're systemic, and they're ones that we don't have solutions to, that the adults don't. And I think this is a huge part of why it's challenging for some teachers to engage in right away because they, um, 
are inclined to, I mean, we're trained to teach towards the end of a unit, a summative assessment, a test of some kind. And uh, if the teachers themselves don't have solutions to some of these problems and know exactly what's going to happen at the end of this exploration, um, they're much more hesitant to engage in civic action. And I think that the magic, you know, I that book that Steve <laughs> referred to, magic, um, the things that happen along the way is that it's about the immersion in an issue and the investigation in that issue and while they're in their own community and the kind of teachable moments that come up along the way are really priceless. So I think that that mirrors itself when we're talking about our own civic lives and our own lives in our community and that engaging and asking questions and investigating is part of what we need to do more of as a community and not just um, as teachers but as people and how we can start encouraging our young people to participate in those investigations with us is is to me really what this is all about um yeah i I agree with that. I think that, um, you know, I was just thinking about the challenges that we face when we're trying to, um, to address these um, practices with our students. I feel like uh, when I'm with my students, um, sometimes the biggest challenge is for, um, for me to try to bring them to the moment, uh, to be present. And, and to be willing to analyze and to dive and to be honest about these conversations in terms of how they see themselves and the reality that surrounds them. But at the same time, I feel that sometimes that becomes a sort of like a competition um, between that and um, the issues that they face from a social emotional um, point of view. You know, my uh, community is uh, made up of um, first and second um, generation of immigrants um, that uh, has a struggle to um, adapt to this new uh, reality, this new life uh, from everything, from uh, you know the language to uh, the elements and things like that. So that is kind of challenging. But in any case, what my practice has been when it comes to social engagement is try to help them to understand that their thinking, their analysis of their reality and the problems that are within our community, uh, they, they do have power at least on those and to control them to some point, to some extent. And that sometimes the work that they're starting to, to do and the things that, uh, the endeavors that they're starting to imprint, like, um, they are going to change um, the future, and sometimes that means the next generations, you know, so they might not see the change now, but they will see the change if they're willing to, to push um, and, and to push, uh, you know, effectively, systematically as well, because, of course, uh, there's this big system that has been established that sometimes um, doesn't account them for how the system it doesn't kind of 
to make them part of these machinery so the system does not adapt to them, they have to adapt to the system. And in that period of adaptation, they lose a lot of sense of identity and who they are and, and what's their expectation within this reality, what's their expectation within, um, you know, their, their life. And um, it's so interesting, sometimes the other day I had a student that told me that on spring break, um, I'm gonna go to Chicago over there. And she was pointing at the big buildings in downtown. And I asked her, oh, that is Chicago. And she's, yeah, yeah, over there is Chicago. And I asked her, what is this? I don't know, I don't know what this is. This is my house, this is my neighborhood. But you know, there's not that sense of identification with that. So um, I'm always trying to to bring that up, that you're an essential um, part of, of this city and what happens here and you should be, advocating for yourself but without this information without them being going to to analyze those issues because sometimes they're very painful too um it's hard you know it's it's really hard but i don't know if that answers any of the questions i guess i was just going off the the challenges that you were mentioning there either you know there are there are a number of layers to this um and uh Gets, it gets complicated fast. First of all, on this question of civic action or social action or action, ju uh, social justice, um, I think part of it, and Heather touched on this, is that those of us that are working on this want to bring more schools and more teachers into this. And we know that, the, that a lot of educators and administrators really hes hesitate. Um, because they feel they fear that oh, oh is my community going to criticize me for this? Is this getting too political? Am I just ending up indoctrinating students, and that doesn't seem right? And um, so we kind of struggle with the right term and using a term that that won't scare people off, to be honest. And uh, I, the, this organization in Chicago that has supported a lot of us called the Mikvah Challenge, you heard me and Heather mentioning this, it's based in Chicago, but they also do work in DC and Los Angeles. And um, I talked to them about this when I was writing the book, because it's like, what term should I use? And um, they've struggled with this the same way. They're all related. Something like civic engagement can easily be, seem more watered down um, because that could mean, well, voting. It could mean maybe cleaning up in your neighborhood. But it doesn't lead to real change. And, and for me, uh, students at least trying to make a change, uh, advocating for some kind of change, uh, is essential. But a lot of times that change is not anything that's like gonna get everybody in trouble politically. Uh, I've got, I get stories all the time. I find them on the web and then people share them with me of like kids maybe in second grade who are, who are concerned about behavior on the, on the, uh, on the playground. And uh, so when they, uh, try to do something about that to maybe develop some kind of uh, actually curriculum activities to help students improve their relationship with each other. They are learning how to make improvements in their community. And as far as I'm concerned, that's what it's about. And if they start there and then build out from there, that's great. 
um, they don't have to be tackling big political issues. Uh, although now with the uh, March for Our Lives, um, uh, you know, activities going on, things like that, it does begin to become more political. But the kids are going to take care of that. They want to do that on their own. They don't necessarily even want the teachers to be taking the lead. And we want them to be taking the lead. And that's another thing that I love about this work, about the way Heather uh, did this and Elizabeth uh, Van Bentheisen, because they would step back and let the kids make mistakes. And then once in a while, they'd step in and, uh, and make a suggestion or, uh, or ask the students, you know, can we talk about why this didn't work? And so I even asked them for the book. I would ask Heather, what helped you decide to intervene in this point and or to stay out of it and let the kids struggle? Um, so, you know, what this, this matter of is this social action, is it um, social change, is it civic engagement? We're struggling with the words, um, but we know what it needs to be. I hope that makes some sense. <laughs> And I, I would add too that, you know, teaching is a cultural act and it's really difficult to remove our lives or our students' lives from the classroom and where the compulsion or the need to have that be removed from the classroom. I'm not really sure of the origins of that, where that came from, but, you know, I think that at least in Chicago, um, we're really lucky, you know, Chicago is an activist city and we have a wealth of partners and, and um, a wealth of schools and classrooms that are doing this all over the place, whether or not it's public or promoted. Um, but I will say that there has been a sea change in people's openness to it, people's um, desire to do more of this kind of work in their classrooms. And it's in project-based learning, um, like Steve writes about in chapter one, really helps to help administrators, I think, see the connection of how project-based learning really helps to produce powerful learning outcomes. And so how connecting project-based learning to issues students care about, elevating the decision-making component in project-based learning to be one that um, students are really using their action research or their investigations in a meaningful way and deciding whether or not um, that is something that uh, they can take action on. And there's been other things like in social science, uh, the C3 framework um, uh, has really pushed on students taking informed action is what they call it. And so we're seeing a lot of these um, calls for schools to help create experiential learning opportunities for young people. And, you know, I think the most exciting thing right now is things like Steve's book and things that you see, um, you know, the, the, there's been a lot of activism around Black Lives Matter with our young people of color, especially in Chicago, have been organizing these kind of movements against gun violence for as long as I can remember. Um, and so seeing these things become public and hearing people talk about how they want young people's voice and seeing the value in it, um, I think just really kind of elevating what has already been, but now framing it in a way that the masses can maybe grab onto. So I think I can, I would predict that in a year from now, um, you know, Steve's book and some of the other things that we've highlighted to become more useful as teachers feel more comfortable in creating space for 
students to have voice and engage in these issues that are really impacting everybody. But frankly, we can't really make lasting solutions or um, transformation without the engagement and voice of our young people at the table. I wanted, really, to, add, one, I wanted to add just one more thing, and then Joe may well have other questions. And that is, um, there's a document that teachers and people in general should look at on the web called the Civic Mission of Schools. It's really become a kind of uh, program and coalition as well. And uh, what it focuses on is that schools in the United, and public schools in the United States were really founded to prepare uh, young people to become citizens in our democracy. And uh, it, it isn't just about preparing kids to get some good grades in, in college. And there are many school districts where the concept of preparation of children to become adults in the community is is stated in the you know in the mission in the purposes of those schools and we have to remind ourselves that that's really what this is about uh, and that um, that that's the justification for the public spending their money on this and for us as teachers working on it Yeah, I really appreciate the uh, the connect the connective thread that I'm starting to see between um, practices that Mauricio talks about in his school, and Steve, as you allude to, uh, you know, some of the less political but still really meaningful projects that students might be uh, wanting to take action about, just locally on the playground and things like that, and how those might connect to. Um, things that are happening in, in the world of adults and, and, and in the political sphere. So as that thread, you know, as that thread starts to become clear to me, I would like for you all to talk a little bit more about the role of yes schools, but also the teacher. And particularly there's one quote that I wanted to just read to you all. So maybe you can, you know, jump off that to talk a little bit more about the role of the teacher. It says, uh, children live in the now. So when students know their arguments and proposals will be read with a skeptical eye next week, by the city council or be published in the local newspaper, they become much more willing to revise, edit, correct their grammar, and more broadly, to think about what reasoning will be effective with their audience. They'll be eager to research and find relevant information to bolster their claims. Teachers who engage students in working for solutions to community problems find that even attendance improves. So I think, you know, you We've alluded a little bit to the fact that some of this can sound scary to principals or you know, teachers who are unfamiliar with this type of work, but I think that excerpt that I just read really speaks to the power of it. So maybe you could all talk a little bit more about the role of, of the teacher in you know, helping students find ways to um, go public with their arguments and proposals and to prepare for their, for their reasoning to meet with skeptical audiences. Um. <clears throat> well, uh, what I think in regards to that, I feel like once the students are empowered and I, if they are emotionally engaged and motivated to participate, um, then their investment and every single uh, portion of the work is exponential and the possibilities are really um, very open and, and really big. Um, 
we like as a small uh, example at Riley, thanks to the work that the peer councils have been working now, we have been able to decrease the amount of suspensions and detentions in our school um, exponentially. We went from like, a, I don't know, we have, I was looking at the numbers like three weeks ago and we were down by like 70%. So that's 70% times that instead of addressing those issues in a way that was not productive, we were able to actually give students opportunities um, to really be invested in their own thinking and in their own way of solving, finding solutions. Now, that give us an example of how these students that are invested and feel empowered, now uh, they have no problems with going and talking to teachers or to other students and even to the principal if they think they can change something because they know they are empowered, they will be heard, they will have an audience. Some of teachers are skeptical of that. Some teachers still don't buy into, but yet they are not afraid of talking to them. And you know, they are also a big portion of why a lot of teachers are starting to look at the work that they do with a lot of respect and sometimes it is becoming uh, their first resource when it comes to addressing these issues in our community. So I think that empowering the voices of students and give, when they know that they, they have um, this big task ahead of them, um, I think that helps to create an even um, a better, a, a very engaged practice on their part. <laughs> Sorry about my disability. <laughs> I love your kids, they're gorgeous. Um, Mauricio, I, I wanna ask you to talk a little bit about with that sculpture project, you had the students felt complete a, uh, a graphic organizer called a root cause tree that's really about yeah. analytical skills. And uh, right. I, I think you should tell a little bit about that because that's an example of of connecting uh, connect, connecting social action with an important academic skill that's that's being stressed in our schools, and uh, that was a beautiful part of the whole project. Right. Um, yeah. Of course. Uh, so it all started. I took these. Um, it's called the the tree, the roots of violence. I took it from uh, this organization called Project Nia, NIA. Um, who is trying to stop the incarceration of youth of color. I used to work for them, with them. And so I took that into my sixth grade class. We work in these trees and groups. And the tree is that at the center of the tree is the problem that you see that's happening in your community. And then you start going down to the roots, meaning that you're trying to try reasons to why this problem uh, took place or happened. But um, the thing about this analysis is that every time you find a new reason, then you have to find roots for that reason to happen. And right. then you keep disclosing that and you can dive in so deep into the origin of all these problems. Um, who is, I am for them because they couldn't believe how the of something that is so immediate, it's actually connected to something that is really um, big and systematic. But now the beauty of that tree too is that once it identified the roots and the reasons for the reasons for the reasons for the reasons of the problem, 
they also started thinking about the outcomes of that problem. What are the new things that are going to happen because of this problem? So, um, <clears throat> you know, how, uh, like one example would be, there was a fight in, I don't know, in the third floor. So you think about what were the reasons of the fight? Well, they were mad at each other. Why were they mad at each other? Well, uh, because they are not good friends. And then you kept going until, you know, well, he didn't have a good day at home. And then, well, he didn't have a good day at home because his dad is not working. And then, well, his dad's not working because he doesn't have the license to do this. And then you keep going, right? But then on the other side is, what's this problem going to create? Well, he's going to be unhappy. And there's going to be other kids that are going to be the receptacles of his unhappiness uh, through violence, right? And that's going to plant another seed because then there's the fruit that comes out of the tree that's going to start planting another problem. Therefore, um, uh, we need to address this tree. And then the artistic practice came with we need to find a solution. And we talk about, unfortunately, how do you kill a tree? It's by cutting off the roots. So we talk about focusing on one single root. If we were able to find a solution for that little part of this big problem, um, what would it be? So then um, we start to use theater skills and you know, we start to act out the, the, the problems and how they happen. And then we talk about um, all the feelings that we're filling up when this situation was uh, taking place. Um, but then we also talk about, so at this point, right now, what would have been a solution? Then, you know, you have somebody that comes and breaks up the fight or help them to breathe or take them somewhere else or, you know, so the sculptures were not only to talk about the problem in the end, but they would also talk about the solution and how the solution is, first of all, came from the students and it happens there way before an administrator went before the disciplinarian or even the teacher has been called in. It has to come from them. So that sort of like explains, and, and even that simple exercise of analyzing and thinking that, wow, this is a possible solution, resonate with some students because then it was interesting to see how students sometimes would tell me, oh, I did exactly what the sculpture said the other day, you know, this was happening and then I decided to stand up just like we talk about in class and and and, and that was, that was quite beautiful. That was, um, a, you know, something that um, also helped other students, the little ones, because then, you know, we have students that came to the guided tour and we have this artist explaining his sculptures. And so all of a sudden it's not just the art piece and it's done, but we have discussions and we have the pictures because we took pictures of them and the problem right before the sculptures. So it became this whole, um, school conversation everywhere where everybody knew about these problems and a lot of people could relate to them and say wow that's exactly I've seen that or that happened to me or that was my brother or something and then we started to see like wow but look at this other person and you know so that was um yeah that was the experience with that problem thank you for bringing it up Steve. this is why I love this work it's very uplifting and this is how change can happen Heather, you, I, I, um, saw, I saw this, you know, with the Social Justice League. I mean, they were doing all kinds of things to try to change the culture in their school. Well, I, thanks, you know, thanks, Stephen. I, I, I think that the work that we were doing did change the culture of the school and in a very short time. And so I think I'm thinking about um, the question that you asked uh, Remy in the quote 
quote, um, or was it Remy? I'm sorry, but uh, it was something about that you know children live in the now, um, and that using this kind of work is a way to get them to authentically, meaningfully engage in the text or in writing, which is very true. Um, and I don't think, I think sometimes we can almost a trick or something. Um, but to me, it's just very simple. You know, if we're teaching something or if we're asking students to engage in learning, why wouldn't we do it using tools that already resonate with them? Um, so I think that there, there also is a bit of adultism that we all have with assumptions of what young people can and cannot do, assumptions of what young people care about or don't care about. And so, um, the other, to me, I, the, one of the most exciting things about this work is the push towards community. And I think chapter one, you do a good job of outlining that, Steve, is um, the, focus, the community focus really calls teacher to focus on their classrooms as communities and looking at what are the ways in which my classroom functions as a community and does not, who holds the power in my classroom and who doesn't, um, how do my students' identities and lived experiences come alive in my classroom and what do I even know about my students lived experiences and how do I use that to inform my teaching, the, my lesson planning, my own personal growth. Um, I think that as teachers, if we look at our classrooms as community, it also gives us opportunities to think about how we might be othering other students um, how we might be creating a dominant culture in our classrooms that we don't necessarily want to see lived in our own society. And so, um, you know, if there's anything that this work has taught me over the last 12 years is that it's not about me and it's not about the tests and it's not about these learning outcomes, but it has to begin and end with who my students are and, and what impacts them and how can I make sure that what I'm teaching is giving them power in their lives, no matter where they end up going or what they do. And, you know, I don't think that it's really about focusing on the project outcomes or these ultimate actions, even though all of that is so powerful and important. It's about the students shifting in their thinking about themselves in relationship to others, themselves in relationship to their community and the power it gives them in understanding how education can just help to make that flourish a little bit more. There's, there's a great moment. Um, there's a video of uh, kids at Polaris School who are trying to um, reduce gun violence in their neighborhood. And uh, they gave a talk at a conference about this for the they were seventh graders and one of the things they said was we thought we could change our city but what we found out was we changed ourselves I, I um I would like to add something also um, to what Heather was saying about um, the dynamics of power within the classroom that's something that also has to be address I think it is really important that um, it takes sort of like a mindset to understand that it is okay to give power to the students that it is okay to be challenged by students um, it is okay to acknowledge that perhaps there are things that students know more than the teacher 
and that this um, learning is an avenue that goes both ways and therefore uh, we also have to be open to take from them what they're willing to teach us. I recommend this book is called uh, The Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paulo Freire um, and it's a fantastic method of teaching and empowering um, students and, and, and teachers also to um, I mean, I don't know if I can say to be humble about uh, their place in the classroom and how the power has to be level in order for everybody to participate freely and um, responsibly. Um, so I just want to annotate that. Well, we still do our teaching. I mean, Mauricio, you did a you did a teaching unit on uh, Giacometti sculptures. And I would watch, you know, Heather would sit the students down after they had tried to do something. They were, they were trying to um, um, go around the school and visit all the, uh, the um, not the classrooms, it was the, well, the visit classrooms and inform, get input from other students and it didn't work at all. And so Heather sat them down and said, uh, we've got to debrief this. We've got to critique it and talk about what didn't work this time and what you're going to do in the future. So she took her role as a teacher and, you know, really encouraged them to be introspective and analytical about uh, what they had tried to do, what worked and what didn't work. So we're still teachers and it still depends heavily on us. And, uh, but the trick is how, and it is a kind of a trick, uh, Heather, that you were saying, how, how do we, use our power to help them to really take the control that they can. And that, that's the trick that, that I've learned from you guys as I've watched you do this. So thanks for that. It's my, uh, it's my chore now to wrap up a really engaging conversation. And, and this has been a unique conversation for the marginal syllabus because, because Steve, our partner author, inviting you, Heather, and you, Mauricio, on here, you're a cohort of sorts, and you all have background in, in the text that Steve has written and the work that he's written about. So a very engaging conversation. Uh, I just w would like everyone to whip around with like maybe a, uh, a big idea that they hope gets taken up in the margins. Um, for me, I'll just say my piece, I, and I'm going to cheat and say a couple. I've heard a, uh, the concept of the classroom as a community being a really important uh, notion here. Also, um, some very vivid descriptions of what engagement can look like. And then I also feel like I've heard a number of references to the notion that we're not preparing students for an illusory like level or next grade. Instead, we're preparing them to take action right now or developing agency in the now. So those are some big ideas that I hope get taken up in the margins. And I invite you all to, uh, to weigh in with the last word and maybe we can just take the same uh, the same uh, order we took with you. I'll say that uh, I've heard so many students express a feeling of helplessness and then they get involved this, in this work and they say, I didn't realize people would really listen to me. Um, I guess my takeaway is that all of the things that we know are moving us to improve our instruction and 
prepare young people for meaningful, engaged lives after school are the things that they should be doing right now in school. And it all to me comes back to inquiry and you know, inquiry and investigation around the problem. Um, the, the real only addition is that you're gonna be investigating a problem that impacts them and letting them decide what they do with that learning. I think uh, uh, my takeaway is that I think that um, this idea of um, allowing students to explore the reality, creating a structure that challenges them to, to do so and empowers them to do so uh, without fearing uh, judgment or um, without fearing um, too much of an intervention from an outsider of the community sometimes as teachers um, are. So I think that's, um, yeah, that's, that would be my final thought. I will, I will just first start by thanking everyone. Uh, Steve, our partner author, again, Heather Mauricio for, for joining this conversation, um, which was very uh, inspiring in terms of thinking very, in some ways practically about how to leverage youth interest and agency in terms of these types of, of, of social action projects and the ways that that could then change teaching practice and change schools, uh, which is of course, uh, at the end of the day, a, an important uh, lever for creating more equitable and more democratic uh, communities uh, where, where we all live. Um, and I hope that those types of conversations and inspirational uh, opportunities surface in the annotation conversations that we'll be having um, with and on top of Steve's uh, text in May. And so I hope to see many of you in the digital margins uh, as we continue the conversation there. Again, thanks to everybody. It was really a lovely conversation today. Thank you. Yes, Thank indeed. Thank you, thanks for having us. All right, thanks everyone. Thanks everyone. Uh, finally, if you'd like to keep up to date on future opportunities, sign up for the monthly newsletter at educatorinnovator.org and follow Educator Innovator on Twitter at at innovates underscore ed. Thanks again.